What's up, fellas? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast, where we love and lead from the front, and we do so unconditionally from a place of opportunity and purpose and passion, all while still pursuing our own personal and professional goals as well. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host, and I want to first thank you so much for tuning in today. You could spend your time doing literally anything else, and you have chosen to listen to this show. That's a responsibility that I take very seriously. My goal is to steward your time and attention and give you the best return on that that I possibly can. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting our show and our mission. I hope you enjoy what we've got in store today. So before we do jump in, I do want to do a quick plug for our Dad the Man Facebook group. You can find this group anywhere on Facebook. Just go to the group section, search for Dad the Man. It will pop up. You can also go to the link in the show note description of this episode on whatever platform that you are listening to. We created this group, this Dad the Man group, as a collection of guys who are all going through so many of the same things together. As men, husbands, and fathers, we think we're unique in the things that we go through and struggle with, but the reality is that a lot of our situations and circumstances are very similar. Odds are, if you are going through something right now and you feel like you're on your own, there's a really good chance there's somebody in this group who either is going through the same thing now or has in the past and they can help you. And it's an opportunity for you to help other people as well. Totally free group, no excuse not to join. Come on in there. I want to see you in there soon. So today's guest is none other than Rory McKernan. So Rory is the Director of Business Development and Athlete Representative at Mayhem Nation, where he works alongside the CrossFit GOAT himself, Rich Froning. Before working with Mayhem, Rory was well-known publicly through his role as Media Director and on-camera personality for CrossFit, and he was also the host of the CrossFit Games from 2010 to 2017. Rory was instrumental in the viral growth that CrossFit experienced, and he accumulated a wealth of industry knowledge and experience during those years before ultimately being let go by the organization. During our conversation today, we talk about the impact of this life transition for Rory, the importance of faith during that time, and the identity struggle of rediscovering himself away from CrossFit. Simply put, Rory is a stud. He has a really approachable charisma about him that makes you feel like you've known him for forever the first time that you speak. But above it all, he is an incredible man, husband, and father, and it was an honor to host him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Rory McKernan. All right, fellas, if you have followed the CrossFit world in any way, shape, or form over the last decade plus, then you definitely know and love today's guest. He's been the face of the sport for a long time now. He now serves as the VP of Business Development for Rich Froning and the CrossFit Mayhem team over in Cookville, Tennessee. And today he's our guest here on the show. So excited to have him here. Rory McKernan, welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. Thank you, my brother. This is, uh, you know, we were talking about it offline, but this is going to be the highlight of the day. Um, I love what you're doing and I really appreciate you bringing me on. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Glad to have you here. Um, let's wade in uh, way back. Let's go way back. I want to hear a little bit about your childhood. Give everybody a chance to get to know you a little bit. So I know everybody sure. knows probably more of the the middle of your story, the public, more public part of your story, the CrossFit years and where you are now. But take us back. Give us a little context on who you are, where you come from. Sure. Uh, if we zoom all the way back, I am. Uh, I'm not a native Texan, but I got there as soon as I could. So I was about two years old by the time I got to Austin, Texas, where I grew up. 
And uh, I grew up in a place, a lot of people will know of it. It was a, a football dynasty. So not quite like Odessa Permian Friday Night Lights, but uh, my school was called Westlake. So most time they refer to it as Austin Westlake. Yep. Uh, we had people like Drew Brees was the quarterback my freshman year in high school, took us Casual. to state. Yep, exactly. Just no big deal. <laughs> Humble brag. Uh, it was the it was the most winningest high school football team of the 1990s. So you can imagine the atmosphere is like, I'm dramatizing it, but uh, I tell people that it was kind of a mix of like Friday Night Lights and Varsity Blues. It really, you know, it was a very sports centric town, um, upper middle class, a lot of people who worked for Dell. But it was a it was a fantastic place to to grow up. And in fact, you know, we, we only just recently located back to uh, Tennessee and it was definitely high on the list. We we're like considering, do we go back to Austin? Do we not? Um, and then for whatever reason, I was always drawn to the West Coast. So as soon as I graduated high school, I made a beeline out. I went to the University of Southern California with the intention of playing football. Uh, I had what they called an invited walk-on status, which means basically we'll give you a spot on the team, but you got to come to tryouts. Like there's no scholarship involved. And uh, I decided at the time that I wanted to, you know, probably study beer and women more than football plays. And uh, so that, that became a, a little bit, of a back burner and didn't end up playing football, which is a shame only because these were like the Reggie Bush, um, Matt liner years. So I would have two championships. I was going to say, I, you'd have a couple rings, <laughs> whether I played or not. And, uh, but a great time in, uh, Los Angeles and, uh, and growing up there. And, and then, uh, we kind of zoomed forward and I bounced around a lot, did a lot of seasonal work between fishing in Alaska winters in Jackson, Hole, Wyoming, kind of ski bumming and, trying to figure myself out and, and where I wanted to be. And, and during those times is when I first found CrossFit and uh, you know, then it's all kind of fast forward from there where I got tied up with the organization, but that's the, that's the uh, really long story, really short. So we can dig into any of that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, once upon a time, Texas, you know, made it out to California for a long time and now back home in Tennessee. There we go. Any siblings? Yeah, I do. I got a, a brother who's 16 months older than me. Gotcha. Uh, recently moved out to Los Angeles. So he's, he's kind of one of our West coast connections still. Gotcha. What and actually it? will be great because, uh, you know, we've had a lot of deep conversations lately. My kids are now older. They're, um, 12 and 11, uh, also 16 months apart, which is great. And, uh, he has a one-year-old. So we've had some wow. awesome conversations where I'm like, you know, a decade ahead of him and yeah. he's my older brother, but the tables have kind of turned in this sense where he's like, Hey, what about this? He tried that. Yeah, and it's been so, really cool. So you guys have uh, have you stayed close? It sounds like you guys are in communication now, but have you guys been close al along the way. He's yeah, he's mentor, best friend. Um, yeah, we we've remained very close, although geographically we've been apart for quite a while. Uh, when we were in California, he lived in Southern California, but was traveling quite a bit. So we'd see him, just it's never frequently enough, you know. Yeah, especially what do you when think, you got kids. What's been the key to you guys staying close? Do you think this is something that I'm starting to hear a lot about siblings? For one, for whatever reason, one reason or another, they grow apart and then they kind of struggle. They butt heads. Maybe kids fuels the fire of pushing them further apart. What's been the key for you and your brother of keeping that, keeping uh, that going? You know, it's interesting. We never had that. We never had that. I don't even remember. I, I've been begging my mom to like dig through her memory banks lately to be like, did we fight the way that my kids fight? Like, were we always <laughs> like this? But from, I mean, literally by the time we got into high school, certainly we were thick as thieves. And so, you know, I would look to him for a lot of guidance. We were, we were different in the sense that like um, he was more into like art and music and I'm more of the jock and sports side of things, mm -hmm. but we, we mixed and meshed really well. And in the years after we traveled a lot, made it a point to, to be together. But um, 
in a lot of ways we have very divergent interests, but uh, I don't know. Some of it, again, I think it has to do with parenting. When you, when you become a dad and you start kind of having these retrospective moments and you're like, wow, why am I the way that I am? And how was I affected by X, Y, and Z? And to have somebody, well, really the only people who you can share that experience with are the ones who grew up with you in the same household. And uh, so I think that brought us together. I, <clears throat> excuse me, brought us together in a sense as well. But I don't know, man, we, we never really grew apart. Listen, we never had to come back together. That's awesome. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've got a younger brother, two and a half years younger than me. And we're very close still. I'm 30. He's 20, 31. Gosh, got to give my got to add that extra year. I'm 31. <laughs> I'm officially detached from my twenties. Uh, my brother's 28 and uh, yeah, we're super close too. And we fortunately never had that rivalry that a lot of siblings have. Like we've always just been close, but I've got two boys now they're five and three. And it's like, I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, that's like my goal. I want them to be boys. You yes. know, I want them to stay yes. close over the long run. Like get me out of the way. Like I could force it now. They're five and three. They might, you know, they'll try to kill each other every now and then. But yeah, I, I do the Sorry. same thing. I'm thinking through like, did we fight like this when yes. I was little? I don't know. Yeah. And mine, mine are like super close and they'll fight like cats and dogs. And the only time that they really come together is when I've got a common enemy. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> I got to be the bad guy for the sake of my kids. You know? Yeah, no, that's that's great. Hey, if that's the role you got to play, you got to fall on that sword, right? You got to, you know, you got to get in where you fit in. Um, all right. Tell me a little bit about your parents then. Uh, so let's see, dad, well, this is kind of cool. My father is a first generation American. So he was actually cool. born in Ireland, grew up in England, and then around 16, 17 years old, decided that he wanted to be a sailor, literally wow. sailed on a boat over to, uh, he ended up kind of in like the Florida area, Southeast United States. And, um, that's where he met my mom. So my parents met literally like working on yachts and kind of doing seasonal work and things like that. Um, mom is from New York. And if you fast forward to now, they are both, um, in terms of like physical activity, and obviously I'm in the CrossFit world, uh, both great examples. My dad coaches soccer and a little bit less aggressive than my mom. They're, they're no longer together for about 20 years now, but uh, she's still running uh, half Ironman triathlons. Wow. And so the lady's crazy. And uh, it's actually a big part of my year. I'm training for a half Ironman in October uh -huh. because we're going to do the 70.3 miles on my mom's 70th birthday. Wow. Wow. I know. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And I'm like, it's also cool because who initiated that? She did. Oh, that's did. awesome. That's awesome. And so, yeah, she's like, my, for me, my only performance goal is to beat my 70 year old mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, survive the swim, crush the bike, and then just don't let her catch you on the run. You know? Yeah. Uh, dude, but, that's, uh, yeah, that's so gangster. That's awesome. It is gangster. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. They, uh, in terms of them as people, you know, you can imagine just culturally, an Irish born Brit versus a, you know, a, a Yankee, basically she was, she came up in New York for most of her life. Um, very, uh, very different in that sense. So it was cool. I got, I got two very different sides of the ball in terms of uh, role modeling, parenting, uh, communication, all those things. And then uh, my mom, I think is worthy of mentioning has been uh, she's been sober for almost 40 years now. So like the majority of my adult life, that was kind of lifestyle that she chose. And that was, um, you know, as the story goes, it was something that she decided to do when we were about four years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, something that I admire and I've actually recently taken into my life and been like, you know what, that is the kind of example that I want to set for my kids too. Um, I didn't model it directly, you know, I mean, she was a little <laughs> bit crazy in my college years, but um, eventually were. came, yeah, exactly. And eventually <laughs> came around to be like, yeah, you know what, like, 
there's little eyes and minds that are looking up to me and, and uh, how you represent yourself is super important in that sense. Yeah. So how long have you not been drinking now? Uh, January 1, 2020, believe it or not. Nice. Like during, during the pandemic. Nice. Uh, I was like, we always used to do Jan- uh, dry January just for shits and giggles. And um, that year in particular, I was like, okay, this thing is going crazy. The pandemic stuff. And uh, I'm either going to go nuts like many of my friends did mm-hmm. um, or just go completely the other way and try and be, <laughs> try and be productive yeah. and, uh, and no, no judgment. Right. It yeah. was just like, for me, I'm like, maybe I could channel this energy. It's also, I'm 10 years ahead of you. So I'm, I just turned 40 and I'm like, you know uh, it's probably time this decade, I think for me is real critical in terms of mm-hmm. what can you accomplish? How much can you maximize before the inevitably we're all going to decline, right? Not like mm-hmm. life ends at 50 years old, but uh, I feel like it's a critical decade where you're like, if I'm going to accomplish stuff, or I'm going to do, you know, some of the goals that I've set for myself, then now's the time. Yeah. I, um, I'm really interested in this idea of, of giving up drinking as someone who like, I've never had a drinking problems. So, I mean, in college, yeah. anybody, um, anybody would look at me and be like, okay, yeah, he's, he's an idiot, 20 year old, you know, whatever. Totally. I was in a fraternity, like a stereotypical as it gets, like that yeah. was the college experience I had. But now like similar to what you're saying, there are young eyes and minds looking up to me. It's like, yeah. If I have two cocktails before the kids go to bed and like, I'm tucking them in, like, what's the last thing they smell before they go to bed? Like, how am I like weirdly bubbly when I'm laying them down? Like, I, yeah, I'm starting to get to this place where I'm like, not that I drink a lot, but when it, it, it feels icky when I do and I get, yeah. I kind of got to the point where I'm like, it's just not serving me well. And my wife have, and I have kind of toyed in and out of this idea of like, maybe we'll just give it up for mo- a month, six months, a year and just see where it yeah. goes. Uh, but we're toying well, with it right and, now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hyper personal, right? But like to that point, even if it was just diet that we were talking about, not alcohol, um, six months in the grand scheme of how long you plan to live is literally nothing, right? It's yep. a blink. And so yeah. that was that was kind of how it started. I was like, you know, I've explored alcohol quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's not a whole lot that it's bringing to the table anymore. Um, and there's plenty of times when I miss it, like hot summer day. Um, you know, looking for a cold beer, like the, the boys are around sipping whiskey if you're going fishing or whatever it is. Um, but I feel I, what I do know is that I feel a whole lot better the next morning when I'm getting up for a workout, going for a run, trying to read, um, mm-hmm. trying to have a clear head about decisions that are pretty critical in business or in life. And uh, yeah, so for me, it was kind of, it's, it's been a slam dunk so far. And I never made a definitive statement. I was just sort of like, let's see how this goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, more and more, it's reinforcing to be like, I feel pretty fantastic. And in juxtaposition to where I could be. Um, and the flip side of the coin is there's also those times where I'm like, man, I, I remember having like uh, uh, an experience in the Alaskan wilderness where I was like sipping a whiskey with my dad and it was kind of cool, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, so maybe I'll miss out on that experience, but um, I'm sure that I could fill that hole with many, many other things that are a little bit more, more meaningful and less, you know, transitory. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, for me, it's like a, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to make the bold statement of like, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I've thought in my head, like, I just need to raise the bar on like what the unique situation is. Like, is yes. it another Tuesday night? Like that probably isn't going to meet yes. the criteria. Is it, am I sitting in Alaska with my dad? Like maybe then I'll bust out a little whiskey. Like there you to go. me, like kind of adjusting that bar. What, what are the parameters of special occasions? Yeah. Cause a lot of people are like, I only drink on special occasions. Like Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and <laughs> yeah. Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of bleeds into the next, you know? Yeah. 
the only time I've, I've really done like an intentional extended period. And I know that you've just done this too, but 75 hard. I did Loved this it. a year or two ago. Unbelievable experience. I want to hear you break this down for us a little bit through the lens of a husband and dad. Cause I know like yeah. I've talked to people and they're like, I can't do it with kids. And I'm like, I did it with kids. You can do it. I want to hear yeah. your perspective on that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I can't shut up about it. So this is perfect. Um, I found 75 hard and I was like, Oh, this sounds great. But the funny thing is my wife is the one who brought it up. Um, and I'm sure you probably told your listeners what it is, but it's, it's uh, what five, six rules that you follow for 75 days and any of them in isolation would probably not be that difficult. And some of them for me never became that difficult, but, um, uh, like for example, drinking was already off the table. So it was like, okay, you know, I'm going to continue to do something that I'm already doing. Um, but from the lens of a father, I, you know, it's funny. I had already gotten to this place where I was like, um, I was getting my workouts in. Like I get up at 4.30 every morning. I come and I do a five o'clock workout. I'm back home before the kids are awake. They typically wake up like 6.30 to go to school um, and whatever, 10 o'clock on the weekends, right? Um, and so I was already doing that. The second workout was a little bit hard to get in. Um, mm-hmm. So there's two workouts you have to do in a day and you have to get one in outside. Um, so that just became a real good reminder that, for me, there's more hours in a day than you think, or than you would give credit to. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so easy. If you're not committed to something like that, to be like, I'm just going to lay on the couch for a second or, Oh, woe is me. I'm so tired. Like, you know, I I need this rest. It's critical. Um, whereas you can get, even if it's modest, like we would go for walks and things like that. Um, there's time for it. You know, you just, it's really the story that you're telling yourself, but it was, uh, more important to me was the little things like reading, uh, you mm-hmm. read 10 pages every day of a nonfiction book. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm like, oh, I really want to read that book. Oh, I really want to do that thing. I really want to uh, pick up the guitar again. And in the past, the only time that I've had success is when I'm like, well, I'm going to do a sprint. And we like for 30 days, for sure, I'm doing this one thing, mm-hmm. guitar, surfing, uh, running, whatever it is. And, you know, with the, the desired outcome of like creating a habit that's going to be lasting, uh, so it was really cool for me in that sense. And so as a, as a dad, I don't know, man, I, you, as an early dad, you're used to sleep deprivation. And so I just never stopped. Like I yeah. always, I've been getting up at four since 2009, true story. Wow. Um, and I'm a morning person. Like if you catch me at 6 PM, I am boring, dude. Like my wife hates <laughs> it, you know, it's like one cup of coffee at 4 AM and I'm fun to be around. But if you find me like in the evening time, like I'm yawning and I'm just about ready to turn it in. Um, But yeah, it was, uh, in that sense, it was, I did have to find some more corners of time. Um, it really made me think like I'd be on these afternoon workouts running and you go through that, um, I don't want to say guilt, but that kind of questioning where I'm like, okay, well, this is time that I could have otherwise spent with my family. And Mm -hmm. is this selfish or is this beneficial or by benefiting myself, how am I benefiting my family? So it was a little bit of a wrestling match in that sense, but, um, yeah, that's what I found was, and it also became easier to say no to things, you know, you go to everybody I think has had this experience where it is never fun to be the guy who's like on a diet or watching your sugar intake or not drinking at a party or things like that. And I think it's most of the time because it makes other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They're either envious or they're like, they're feeling guilty about the way that they're living their life. But, um, I found that by like drinking it, it already happened. But if I, if I reverse back then before 75 hard, when I first stopped drinking, it took people about six months to stop messing with me. You know what I mean? Stop trying to give you a drink at a party, stop making a joke, stop whatever. And then eventually just offering you fizzy water or, 
an alternative and just accepting that's the way that it was going to be. Yep. Um, and so 75 hard, I think it was the same thing. They were like, you know, maybe they're giving you a hard time, but usually by like day 35, they're cheering you on. Yeah. Oh, how's it going? Oh, what's going on? You know, like show me the pictures and, um, asking for more details and wanting to do it. And, um, so yeah, that was a big takeaway too. And then, um, you know, how it transferred eventually to the family is my kids already have chore lists for which they're rewarded and paid, Mm -hmm. um, for certain ones, certain tasks are just expected. Um, and so now they've, now they've got benchmarks that they really want to hit in terms of, um, my daughter desperately wants TikTok. Um, I've been adamantly opposed to it. And, (laughs) but I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's do 30 days of checking every single box of every single habit. And any day that, you know, you don't comply, we go back down to zero. And these are modest, right? I'm not, um, and just before anybody freaks out, like I'm not making my daughter follow a diet for 30 days. Like I'm not, (laughs) we're not, we're not going out of bounds here. It's like pick up dog poop and brush your teeth, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but she's not hit it yet. And we're talking about like, you know, for six months, she'll try every once in a while. And I, I really like, it, it helps me also because I'm not a great disciplinarian to say, Hey, look, rules are rules. Like the way that they present 75 hard and they're just like, no, man, like don't make any deals with yourself. And so I'm doing the same thing with the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, my hope is that that translates into deferred gratification because she definitely does not have TikTok yet. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, a couple of life lessons that come with like, okay, these are habits that I need to create. These are things and boxes that I need to check. Um, and eventually it just becomes ingrained. Yeah. Bravo to you for working that in with your kids, man. That's, that's so cool. I was going to say, one of the things I think is so cool about doing a program like that is that your kids get to see you do it. Yeah. They see that model. They see dad, he's up, he's out working out, which you were already doing that. But then they see you at the end of the day saying, all right, I said, I was going to do it. I'm going to go. I'll I'll see you guys in 45 minutes. Come with me if you want, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting out there. And, uh, that's, I think that's something that's really cool. I'm a bit like you as well. I'm a bit binary. So I tend to be somewhat on or off. So the program was great for me. Like I I ate it up and, and, uh, and loved it, but well, did you ever do did you ever do phase two or phase one? No, I haven't done it, but okay. I, I would, it's funny. We're talking about this now. I was talking about this either yesterday or two days ago with a couple of my buddies that we were the ones who did it together. And we're talking, we're like, we need to get this going and we need to do it for real. Like we got to do yeah. the whole live hard, the whole, the whole year. So are you doing that? Um, yeah. And, and I've always got an excuse, but <laughs> I intentionally started phase two, even knowing that I'm going to Italy next week. And so, you know, I have zero reservations about the fact that I'm going to eat lots of pizza and you know go off the rails not get two workouts in a day on an international travel day so i'm intentionally starting it just to get the habits in place i'll fail and i'll go back to day one but i'll be back on september 10th ish mm-hmm. and i'll have a month before that iron man um to really hammer things home mm-hmm. nice. um and again some of the things i'm already doing right like i've got uh one of these cold plunges and i i already do cold water submersion on a daily basis so it's it's not that much it's just getting back into the habit of doing it every single day Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. My biggest takeaway from that was like, to me, it was like the, it was like the biggest test of stewardship of your time of just like, am I using it the way that I really want to be using it or not? And I found that even like taking more time away to do the workouts, to do whatever, I felt like the time that I did end up spending with my wife and kids was better because I came in undistracted. I also gave up social media when I did it too, which was awesome. Good for you. That was amazing. Um, but yeah, really, really cool program. Good for you for sticking with it. I want to, I want to know how the rest of the last couple of phases go. Well, here, I'll challenge you in front of your listeners on, uh, September 10th, you start up with me. We'll do phase one. It's just 30 days. Phase one's only 30 days. 
September yeah. 1? September 10. September 10? Actually, September 10, I touched down. So let's say 11. All right. So there we go. September 11th. We'll do it. Now I got now. All right. Okay. So we're, we're going to do this. I'll put the episode, I'll put this episode out early and, and I'll do it. You, I got called out. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. I can't say no. Okay. Quick pause for a quick update. So you just heard Rory call me out to join him for 75 hard phase one. Right after he challenged me, I rallied a group of guys from our Dad the Man Facebook group, which you heard me mention at the beginning of the episode, and we actually began ahead of schedule as a group on September 1st, and we completed on September 30th, 30 full days. This is a great example of the caliber of dudes that we are bringing together in our Facebook group. I dropped a note in our Facebook group asking guys to do this crazy challenge with me for 30 days, out of the blue, and they jumped in, no questions asked. So if you're not in that Facebook group already, come join us. Like I've said a million times, it's free. There's no excuse to join. Don't do this thing alone. Come join us in there. Huge thanks to Rory for calling us out on this. This has helped me tremendously in so many ways. And I will be doing a solo episode soon to come, diving into this a little bit deeper. So Rory, thank you for the challenge. Now let's get back to the conversation. Um, all right. So I want to go back into your story a little bit. I'll quit. I'll quit uh, blabbering about 75 hard. I love the program as well. I can't shut up about it either. Um, you have a unique experience uh, from your past and that you're a cancer survivor. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, where you were in your life at that point. And then I'd love to maybe hear you tie in now that you have kids, you're buried, you've got this whole life built around you. How has that maybe changed your perspective on how you see the day to day, how just every day is a blessing? Like, how has that kind of affected mm -hmm. your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll start with the, the beginning. Yeah. Where, where was I in my life? I was just, I was about your age. Actually, I was, I was uh, newly 30, <coughs> excuse me, at 28. Actually, I know that because I had, um, we were pregnant with my daughter. So we had my son, he was about um, just turned a year old. Mm -hmm. pregnant with my, uh, with my daughter. And it was funny, man. I was, um, I know you're a crossfire. I'm not sure how much of the listenership is, but at the time I was just like healthy as a horse. And in fact, like probably didn't even have health insurance until maybe six months before this and just <laughs> kind of picked it up on a way. I'm like, Oh yeah, I should have health insurance. Um, like didn't even have a primary care physician. I was just, you know, prime of my life feeling great. Mm -hmm. And, um, just started to get the feeling that something was wrong. And, uh, it was in the nether regions, you know, which is always embarrassing, especially you don't have a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so here I am like doctor shopping just to get somebody to, uh, you know, feel my testicles basically. So I, <laughs> I showed, I literally showed up and I'm like, it's, I, I joke about it now, but it's true. It's like, uh, people who are new doctors are going to be angry with me, but it's like, if a doctor's taking patients, like, I don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this guy was like, yeah, yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, okay, great. So I show up to a doctor's <laughs> office. I'm like, Hey man, nice to meet you. Sorry about this, but, uh, you got to check me out. And, uh, that doctor actually told me that I was fine. It's like, no, you're good to go, wow. man. It's just you know, part of your anatomy, no big deal. And, uh, of course I knew he was wrong, but I, I left it was what I wanted to hear. So I'm just like, mm -hmm. I'm going to argue with the doctor. I'm young, I'm a kid at the time. Anyways. Um, I go, we, we go on vacation. I'm like pretty much within two days. I felt like I got kicked in the nuts. Like it was just massive pain. I knew something was wrong. We came back immediately. I was living in Santa Cruz. And, uh, there's a urologist in town there, also a CrossFitter. He was actually a master's competitor at one point. And, um, I went and saw him told him what was going on. He's like, yeah, dude, hospital right now. Like I was just in that, I was in that age group where it was like danger zone for testicular cancer. Mm -hmm. And, 
to this day, there's really just no explanation. Like I didn't get hit. I didn't, uh, you know, there was, there was no, like, I wasn't exposed to chemicals or anything crazy like that. So <clears throat> no explanation, but it was, that was a diagnosis on a Friday and surgery on a Monday. Um, a, a non-dramatic surgery in the sense of like how long it took, but dramatic in the sense that like, you know, lost part of my manhood and you're like, you big facing cancer kind of stuff. Um, there was a fork in the road there and like, I'm running through this stuff. So stop me at any time, but people who have experienced it know that the treatment options that are presented to you, you're like, it's kind of like you're fast tracking, you know, they're like, Hey, yeah. you can do this or you could do this. You can get the same outcome here that you will there, but it's going to be at different times. Well, they presented me with the option to do chemo and basically be like, um, as cured as cured can be, or do what they call surveillance, which is effectively just poke you with needles and give you x-rays and tests and scans for like six years. Um, and because my wife was pregnant, it was, uh, chemo was what I wanted to do just cause I'm a, like aggressive, like, let's go do this. Mm -hmm. Um, but we chose to do surveillance. So it was, um, you know, we, we felt confident that I wasn't sick anymore, but, uh, it's a stressful six years. Like every time you go to the scans, you're kind of like, uh, this was four years ago, but now it's back yeah. in my face and yeah. waiting for scans and blood work to come back. Um, so anyways, you can imagine, you know, the stress of that plus kid was coming, um, and the icing on the cake was they do scans after you have surgery. And, uh, the doctor, the urologist was like, Hey man, great news and bad news. Great news is it looks like cancer free. We got everything out. And you're good to go. But the bad news is that we found this thing in your lung and it's like way beyond my capacities. Um, never heard of it before, maybe one time in, in med school. Um, and so we go to Stanford, which was close, kind of close by to where we lived. Mm -hmm. And they diagnosed me with a pulmonary sequestration, which is effectively just non-functioning lung tissue. It's a, you can think of it as a massive tumor, but it's really just lung tissue that never grew. Yeah. Um, which isn't dangerous in and of itself, but there was a, uh, a blood flow coming from my descending aorta. It's like this mm -hmm. super high pressure was going into this dead end. And, uh, the danger being, I was like, well, okay, why don't we just leave it? It seems like it's been fine until now. And they're like, you would be the guy on the basketball court. Who's like seemingly healthy. And then just falls dead. Yeah. Cause if it, oh. cause if it bursts, it's like four it's... heartbeats and you're gone. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we, the, the order of events became, son born cancer daughter born major lung surgery and all the while like i'm the only i'm the third employee of crossfit media and we're like on espn for the first time things are going gangbusters yeah. it's like right when we started this astronomical climb professionally and uh so more or less like outside of this story like i remember some details but th those years are just like they're hazy you know dude how did you I'm thinking about you and your wife coming home at the end of the day and the day to day of all of that, like yeah. babies, surgeries, not sure what's <laughs> going on with dad here. Like CrossFit exploding at that time was, I mean, gangbusters is putting it lightly. It was, it's, yeah. it was crazy. Like, how did you guys have, how did you guys hold it together as a couple? Yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, she, she's the glue for sure. Like she's an amazing woman and she had it harder than me. Like the, the lung surgery was scary, you know, uh, <laughs> but in reality, like I was on a drug vacation for like 10 days. Like literally I watched, <laughs> I watched the entire series of the wire from a hospital bed. Remember none of it. Yeah. I, I, so people are like, Oh, have you watched the wire? Have you watched uh, breaking bad? And I'm like, yeah, I saw both of them, but I could watch it again. I'm like, literally not remember one character. Um, and so she, to her credit, you know, and she's driving back and forth to Stanford from Santa Cruz with a newborn. And like, she really took the brunt of it. Um, 
But if I boiled it all down to one thing, um, we really leaned in hard on faith. Um, in fact, that's, that's my daughter's middle name, Dakota faith, uh, because there was nothing else. It was like, there was, it was such a, um, powerless in a lot of ways, uh, experience that it's like, it it was for us, it was truly defining of that. It was like, and, and also our church community really brought us up, um, you know, brought us close rather hugged us, bringing meals and doing all those kind of things. Um, but from an emotional support standpoint also, it was just like, we were just lifted up. Um, and I could say the same thing for our CrossFit community and, uh, and we had a really, really strong, solid friend group as well. So it was really community, but yeah, ultimately like we, we tell her that story a lot because her, her middle name is faith. And it's for that reason specifically was like, those years were when we learned about faith the most, just like putting our trust in God and being like, mm-hmm. you know, your will be done because uh, I can't control this any more than like, I can try and be healthy. I can try and make good decisions. Like I can talk to the right people and doctors and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like I laid down on a hospital bed and I was like, okay, see you in 11 hours or I won't, <laughs> you know, Dude, that's nuts. Uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. And uh, yeah, so a lot of it was one foot in front of the other. Isn't it crazy to look back on something like that and be like, that was just, I, I get the time I'm assuming, like I would assume like that was an awful experience, but God yeah. will use something like that to bring you and your whole family that much closer to him. Now I'm sure for the rest of your lives, like that's, totally. just, that's insane. That's beautiful to me. That's, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it, it really was, man. It was a hugely defining moment of our lives. And, and uh, I'm like uncurably optimistic anyways. So, you know, typically I feel like things are going to, just the ball's going to roll in my direction and, and bounce mm-hmm. the right way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, and even like the friendships that I had at that point in time, it's like those, those bonds just can't be any stronger, you know? Yeah. Um, up until that point, like if I'm being completely honest, I had a hugely blessed life and I still do. Um, but that was definitely like, if you look at, if you look at the roadmap of my life, like that's the, that's the big hurdle, um, <laughs> at least to this point. That that shows up on the on the whoop tracker on your your heart rate. That's that's your spike in the middle of the night. It sure as heck would have. If whoop was around at that point, who knows, man? <laughs> it might be better that it wasn't. Oh, uh, seriously. Uh, man. Well, that's that's crazy. I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, especially talking about how that's you know, how you use something like that to bring you stronger in your faith. Can you tell us a little bit more? I guess now that you know your kids are a little bit older now. And, you know, like, what is your family and your faith? Like, how do you guys work on that together? You guys go to church regularly. It's like, do you guys pray together? How does that look for your family? Yeah, all of the above. Um, and, you know, it's it's um, one of the reasons that we chose Tennessee when we moved was that we noticed that there was a really strong faith community here and, um, and actually rich. Like, I, I work for him and I'm hugely biased towards him as a person, but... Mm-hmm. Um, all the way back as early as 2010, like, I just remember it really stood out to me where I was like, man, that's so cool that this dude, he's a normal person. He's very approachable. Um, and still he kind of hangs his identity on like Christianity as kind of his mantle and his, his, his bedrock. And as we all know, like in this day and age, that's a recipe for not being popular on Instagram and not being popular in a lot of places. Right. But he, he didn't, he didn't care about that. Whereas he could have pandered to a lot of other things, but um, that's just who he is in reality. And I really respected that because, um, I think identity is tough for everyone. Um, I, I even read his book at the time and that was kind of the, that was kind of the takeaway was, you know, I thought I was this athlete. I thought I was this important person. I had a couple of failures in life and I decided to reframe and make it about Christianity. 
Um, <laughs> and that was a, that was a big deal for me. I thought that was really cool. So I respected the heck out of him for it. And uh, yeah, so as we were looking for new places, I noticed that that was something that, that uh, Tennessee and Cookville in particular had. Um, so we're really lucky that we landed in a group of people like this, where there's, there's things to do. Um, our church is radical. They're putting on events all the time, but even mm-hmm. if you're not in a church environment, you know, most of the time we go to a social event, like people bless the food. Um, you know, they just got a strong, solid morals and, and they're open to conversations. They're open to, um, cause you know, my kids are curious. I'm still curious. Um, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been a Christian since I was, you know, my kid's age. Uh, but I've gone through years and questions and, um, I'm naturally skeptical. So it's been helpful to be in an environment where like all that stuff's fair game, but it's a very supportive environment as well. Yeah. Um, and so even at summer camp, uh, my son came home from summer camp. He was like, Hey dude, I'd like to get baptized. And so he got baptized nice. three weeks ago. It was a really big deal for our family. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we pray together, maybe not as diligently as we should bedtime with me and the kids always me and my wife together more sporadically than we would like. So that's a habit that we're trying to work on. But, um, uh, yeah, it is, it's definitely a big part of our lives and and it's been, it's been put back on the forefront since we moved, which has been great. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, a lot of stress when you move, man, that's a big transition. That's a, a transitions are brutal, man. And you, you made a big one. What, what was that like for you personally working through all that? Uh, man, we can't escape stress. First of all, it's like, <laughs> it just seems like, I don't know if I'm, I've tried to make sure that I'm not like a magnet for it and, and, uh, you know, bringing these situations on, but we're, we're currently in the middle of a, a remodel, a live-in house remodel. Oh man. You talk about stress, yeah. man. Like you add that and <laughs> you're like, oh, we got travel, we got kids sports or whatever. Um, but the move was great, man. Uh, the, what I just described about rich, I really went through in a big way when I lost my job with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was bundled in with moving is the reason that I mentioned it. Um, so it was, it was tough in that sense, but it was also really freeing and really, uh, you know, really eye opening in a lot of senses. I know it's, it's, um, kind of cheesy. And if, if you look at it the wrong way, but a lot of people are like, oh, well, those worst things that happened to you can turn out being the best things that ever happened to you. And for me, that was certainly true because I was, I was at this real comfort level with CrossFit where uh, if somebody hadn't shook the nest or like pushed me out, then I probably would have just stayed there. I just would have stayed comfortable for the rest of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't growing as a person. I wouldn't have known that until I had the retrospect of like having to flex new muscles, uh, personally, professionally, um, from a faith perspective. And, uh, you know, anybody who's lost their job, I don't know if there's even any way, a way to describe it because I was like, Oh, it'll never happen to me. Mm-hmm. And when it did, it, it, I was shook, man. I was yeah. shook. And it, it was like, you think it's about, Oh, well, you're worried about your income. You're worried about whatever. For me, it was a real, um, it was a real identity crisis. I was like, Holy cow, this has been my, this has been everything that I was doing for 13 years, you mm-hmm. know? And like we talked about actually before the the cameras are rolling, um, you know, you make sacrifices and you're like, oh shoot, you're questioning the decisions that you made. And uh, so it was a tough couple of years, but um, again, a lot of where we landed and a lot of the people that stepped up like through that process or, um, you know, you kind of, you weed through a lot of like, Hey, who's there for you and, and who's, um, who's kind of coming up with solutions and helping you out and, and uh, getting your back. Um, so I learned a lot. Yeah, man. Uh, Gosh. It ended up being a great experience. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, when, when you move like that, like you said, there's, there's a lot of change that happens. Obviously you moved across the country. There's a physical change. Is there anything, you know, in that transition that maybe you, you left behind personally, like something about maybe the way that you were working or anything like that? Is there anything that you said, all right, this is like a new town, new job, new me. Like, yes. is there any like personal rebranding that you chose to do, chose to leave behind? Tell us about that. Tons. Uh, tons. Yeah, it was, um, one, one was that I, I had a, a sense of, well, I had, I had some bad habits that I would, I wouldn't say that I was a workaholic, but I would say that I would, I would tie closely to that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> always with the, again, we kind of touched on this briefly, but, um, oh, it's for the family. We're growing you know, these, these opportunities, you don't want to pass them up. Whereas I know for a fact that when I'm on my deathbed, my kids will give very little care. They don't even know what I do. You know what I mean? They're like, <laughs> they don't care. You know, they're not like, ah, oh, my dad was on TV. Like they could give two less cares. Yeah. Um, they care that I was at their football game and they care that, you know, like I'm, I'm actually coaching my son's football team. Now um, my daughter cares that I made it to the daddy daughter dance. Um, and literally like, what I do as a professional, like, sure, they want things and they, you know, they understand that like money is necessary to live, but they could care how much is in my bank account. They're like, oh yeah, we got food today. Sweet. You know, I got a new pair, new pair of sneakers or whatever it is. Um, but really the, the central focus is on like spending time together and, and the way in which you're doing it. Um, we have had, and some of it was pandemic induced, but really a lot of it was just the opportunities of being here. Um, we got uh, a cool space that we live on. Uh, we do, we've got a lot more activities that we participate in together as a family. And, um, yeah, I think I'm way off track from what the actual question was, but now that's the, uh, yeah, that's the gist of it is, is, um, time spent, man, is, uh, is way more critical than anything else. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And for anybody listening, I hope that they'll take away that, like, just, you took that opportunity to have a personal rebranding. I think it's, mm important for us especially as dudes like like you said we get into our careers we get into the opportunities we get into pushing we may not be workaholics but it can consume us in a lot of ways and i think it's easy to just kind of go head down and maybe not come up for breath for air for too long but i think it's important to have those points of calibration when you look up and you say are you happy with where you are and where you're going with, for all things, for your family, for your kids, your marriage, your job, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that giving yourself the permission to have a little bit of a rebranding to say, you know what, I probably swung out a little out of balance a little too far this way. Maybe I'll come back this way. Try to give more time with the kids. Try to coach their yep. little league teams. Be at the daddy dog. Do all the things. You know, um, I think that's really important for anybody listening. I just hope that hope that that's a takeaway from this because I yeah. think that's just massively important to have that permission. Like do what you need to do. Go. Totally. Totally. And, and man, if I could, <laughs> if I could write a letter to my younger self, it, a lot of it would be, um, I felt oftentimes like I was just keeping up and I never stopped to be like, what do I want to do? You know, or I never, I, because life had been great, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be a fishing guide in Alaska. And like ended up in Alaska and I'm like, ah, I'd like to live in Jackson. Like things just sort of like fell in place for me. What I've learned in the last decade plus is like, you, you really can and need to be intentional with what you want to do if you want to accomplish those things, you know? So it, whereas when I was younger, I was like, oh, it seems like so much, uh, it seems like uh, it's so far-fetched or it's so contrived to say in 10 years, I want to be X, Y, and Z. Or as a father, I want to like literally spell out what you want your days to look like. Um, I'm, that's one thing I'm angry with myself that I waited so long to do. Um, and during this kind of rebranding, as you put it, it's um, 
that was, I was like, no, I'm, I'm in charge. Like I'm going to decide what days look like. I'm going to decide how I am as a person, as a father, et cetera. Um, and then two more things that, that kind of, uh, you jog my memory there. One was, uh, as you walk into rogue fitness, like a shirt, uh, the quote on the wall is what you allow in your presence becomes your standard. Um, that was another thing. And like, as everybody knows, kind of the walls came crashing down on CrossFit. Um, and there was, I'm not saying that it was, uh, this crazy, I, I don't buy into, it was this crazy toxic environment. Um, but there were definitely things where I'm like, in retrospect, like why, why be around that kind of behavior, those kind of people. Um, and it's very, very limited by and large, the people that I worked with at CrossFit were the most amazing people you could ever imagine. Um, but what I won't allow anymore is like, when, when I see something, I'm just like, I call out BS. You know what I mean? Um, just not, there's just no reason life's too short. Um, and I was, uh, it wasn't always that way. The, uh, and the last thing is you, we, we actually kind of touched on it, but, um, I never really sat down and was like, man, what am I all about? And until you have this maybe, you know, crisis of identity or, um, a major hurdle that's kind of thrown at you, sometimes you, you don't do that. You just like, I am who I am. And I just operate how I operate. Um, there's a guy who walk, who works out of mayhem. Uh, he does what's called mayhem mindset. His name's Jim Hensel. And he's got a really cool system for eliciting out what your values are so that you can live a values-based life. And it's actually not faith-based. It's not, um, it's really just, I mean, it's, it's open to anybody really. Um, it's a series of questions that are a little bit challenging, but it's, uh, it's not frou-frou or self-helpy. It's very straight to the point and sort of like, yo, what are you, how would you answer this question? And then by the end of it, you've kind of rewritten your, uh, you've rewritten who you are as a person and what your values are so that you could state them in like almost like an elevator pitch yep. and thereby make decisions based off of those as opposed to just kind of floating in the wind. Okay. That's, that's awesome. I'm checking that yeah. out. Uh, Cause that's like, that's the, that's, I guess the filter that you need to do what you said first, which is like, that's where you put your foot down you stand up and say, Hey, that's not cool. Don't do that. You know, right. like that, you have to have that filter, those principles that hill to stand on to then, you know, you got to know what you stand for to stand up for something. Exactly. Uh, to mix some metaphors there. Um, yeah, it's, um, that it's a, it's a really cool thing to be able to just really consider what do you, what do you really want to accomplish in your life? What do you feel like you're being called to accomplish in your life? What do you want your life to look like? One of the things for me that spurred this whole, personal development journey that I've been on, like I was telling you a little bit about since COVID happened and I started this this show is the book Wild at Heart, which I know you've become a fan of. I think you read it during 75 Hard. I saw you posted uh, one of the quotes um, from from the book, you know, with a picture of your son. And dude, that yeah. it was the one about risk and boys and, and how you have to take these risks in life and how risk is, it's an inherent part of living a life of faith. And dude, that book is unbelievable, is it not? Life-changing for me. Yeah. Life-changing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think a lot of people have heard anyone speak about raising boys that way um, or about giving you permission to like, yo, we're hardwired this way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Not, you know, not quite a wild animals, but um, in some senses, you got to realize like how you're naturally wired and what we were meant to be. But yeah, uh, it's actually, I've got it on the shelf here. Um, I saw you got to interview him. I did. That was the most nervous I've been for an interview. <laughs> I was just like, this dude, like he, this wasn't like a one degree turn. This was like almost a one eighty. Like this dude <laughs> changed my life. And I was like, oh, yeah. I got to talk to him. Here we go. Yeah.
but no, it was, it was dope. He's an awesome dude. Exactly. Like it. if you listen to the audiobook, it's uh, I mean, he speaks the same way, just super calm, yeah. laid back. Uh, yeah, no, awesome I, I listened. I got to listen to it. I was, I was so impressed. Um, and actually, uh, me and my son are reading uh, Catching Lions, Killing Lions, Killing Lions, um, which is a book that he wrote with his son. And it's oh, it's a little cool. bit older than my kid. It's it's more like um, kind of like high school, college age, but it's still informative. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of wisdom in there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. John John's a stud. Um, yeah, the there's just so many takeaways from that book. Just like the orientation with risk the permission to, to be wild, to take risks and that that's good. Like it, you're not a reckless person. You're not selfish. Like it's inherent in us to go do these things. Right. And like the getting into the points of not being the passive guy, not being the nice guy for, for your wife, but being the man, you don't get yep. your validation from it. Just all I, I could go on and on. I could blabber totally. all day about that. Book, yeah. Yeah. But dude, I, so I, good. I could too. I, I think that it's a, it's a must read for anybody, um, men and women. And actually, uh, my wife read his wife wrote a book as well about a woman's heart captivating and uh yes exactly yep. and um but i think i think both sexes should read the other one and <laughs> you know you learn so much about uh yeah i i i'm a huge fan of the same same as you i can talk about it all day but i read it i make it a point now that it's the book that i will read every year mm-hmm. um, so i'm adding it to that list of like just kind of refresher there's another one called uh, iron john which is um yeah look up iron john and it's a, uh, it's of the same ilk, but uh, it brings a different perspective to it as well. Okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna we'll, we'll link all this up. And for anybody listening, you've heard me talk about Wild at Heart a million times. If you haven't read it now, <laughs> please, for the love of God, go read it. It's so good. Um, Rory, I want to be respectful of your time, so I'm gonna move to the last couple questions. Ask everybody these questions to wrap up our show. Um, the first question um, for you is about so your public guy people see you all over the place people look up to you you're a charismatic dude like you said you're eternal optimist like you can't get this guy down is there anything that you maybe personally struggle with find yourself working on consistently just just within yourself that people may not know about sure um yeah man i think that i go through the same struggles as as a lot of people um i by nature am uh, like a people pleaser you know I'm, i'm always i'm seeking harmony and for someone who's always seeking harmony to be in, uh, well, to be on the internet anywhere <laughs> can often be like a difficult place, right? So I, yep. um, I find it difficult oftentimes to present, uh, like we're talking about, to be straight with people about like, yo, here's where I stand on things for fear of how they will uh, react to that, right? I've spent a lot of time being like um, the fun guy, the, hey, like, you know, everybody wants to have a beer with you kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so oftentimes I find that that's, that's difficult um, because you just can't please all the people all the time. And it took me almost 40 years to figure that out. Um, but I'm a lot more comfortable now with it than I used to be. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I think a lot of people experience, have experienced that, probably are experiencing that now in some capacity. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, question number two, the answer to this question cannot be your family. So besides okay. your family, what are you the most proud of in your life so far? Oh, man. I like, I don't embrace, I, uh, I would never call myself this, I guess, but I guess I'm about to, um, with, uh, with the cancer stuff specifically, um, or more and more now, maybe as I'm getting older, um, when people ask me for my opinion or value my opinion, or give me a platform like this one on which to share my ideas and thoughts and feelings, 
um, I'm hugely honored by that. And so I, um, in trying to, in trying to be better about giving myself credit, um, I really embrace or I'm proud of the fact that I can have some sort of a positive voice and, um, like an amplified voice to represent, uh, people and things that I'm interested in and, and that I'm related to. Awesome. All right. Last question here for you is around the word legacy. Legacy is one we hear a lot about a million different connotations to it, depending on who you ask. When I think about legacy, I think about two things. I think about the people that mean the most to me in this world. And I think about the people that God willing, I will leave behind on this earth that in between those two buckets, that's my kids. So when I think about legacy, I think about the moments, the memories, the little lessons, the experiences that they will share with me. Um, or I'll share with them, however you want to look at it. So that one day, like I said, God willing, I get to leave them behind on earth. They'll get to kind of carry these, these little lessons along with them. They'll have these things they remember about dad, they can carry with them and live, live their lives um, from there. So if I turn that around to you through that lens and I say, Rory, what do you want your legacy to be with your kiddos? How would you answer that question? Man, I would give you like quotes from every single country song that I've ever listened to, like always be <laughs> humble and kind. And... <laughs> no, it's true, man. I'm, all I'm trying to do is create good humans who are, you know, the same thing, focused on making the world objectively a better place um, than we found it. And I think that over the years, all the things that we've talked about today have come together to like, to your point, like there is nothing more important. And, uh, size of your bank account, how many people like you on Instagram, uh, none of that stuff matters, but your ability to actually put values, um, thoughts and, and an approach to the world into, into young humans is like the gift of all gifts. Um, so yeah, man, I hope that I can just, uh, hope that I can teach them to constantly bring that energy to the space, to, to the world and, uh, leave it better than we found it. I love Maybe it, brother. Generic, but true. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Roy, thank you so much for making some time for us today, dude. Such a blessing to get to have you on here. I know how busy you are. Your time is a gift. We take it as such. Thank you so much for being here. Where's the best place for people to find you, follow you, learn more about you. Where do you want to send people? Oh man, I'm on Instagram. Just, uh, just my name, Rory McKernan. And uh, most of the work that I'm doing these days would be found at Mayhem Nation. So uh, we do a ton on YouTube. Um, we do uh, obviously the websites uh, mayhemnation.com or mayhemathletes.com. And um, yeah, I'm real proud of what we've been building here. So um, go, go give it a look. Cool. September 11th, we starting. What phase is it? Yes, yes, yes. It's it's weird because it's called phase one, but it comes after 75 hard. Yep, yep. So I'm, I'm, look I'm at phase one. It's, it's 75 hard for 30 days plus cold showers or water submersion is what I'm going to do. And a power list. You got to come up with three tasks a day. Perfect. I'm going to see who else I can drag into this with us. We'll not everybody who everybody who's listening should be curious enough to at least try 30 days. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to put this out and I'm going to be individually reaching out to everybody. Say, hey, do you listen to the episode? And then I'm going to rope them in. So there we go. My man. My man. Rory, really appreciate you, brother. Let's stay in touch. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.